All right, Matthew chapter 13 here. We've uh, we got down through the first 10 verses, nine verses, and and again we're in a very critical place in the book of Matthew, and uh, we're we're going to deal here with uh, some some critical information as the Lord begins to prepare one prepare the little flock for the ministry during the Acts period. But also, we are beginning the second part of the book, the second half. And uh, we've come through the first part where we've seen the crisis. We've come to the place where the Lord Jesus Christ's rejection is solidified, it's finalized. And uh, now we come into verse thir- or chapter 13, and uh, we're now we're going to see this issue about the parables. So let's just start reading in verse 1 and uh, get down into um, so, some things. Cause, so this week and next week, we're, we're going to be talking about these parables here. And uh, really, the, anyway, let's just get reading here. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony, uh, sto- stormy, stormy, stony patches, where they had mu- not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, that's the issue. Why The Lord is now beginning to speak in parables. So the question then is, is why did he preach in parables? Why does he do this? And usually the idea about that, that comes up when the parables begin to talk about is that people say that, well, Jesus was a great storyteller, and he went around telling stories and illustrations and, uh, so that everybody could understand every word that he said get it. Even the uneducated common people could get it, as well as the highly educated people, because he used common illustrations out of everyday life. And that he would take things that were familiar in life and bring them in. And again, last time, at the end, I told you that word parable uh, means to throw alongside of, parable throw alongside of and and see he would come along he would take a truth that they, that they could see in nature or an experience take some great spiritual truth illustrate it with this physical thing that they were familiar with and that's why he taught in parables so that really again everybody could understand what was going on now, that's what, how most, the majority of everyone says, okay? You pick up a commentary. I didn't, pick, I didn't bring it out, but the, 
This is from a commentary on, on this section. Quote, the purpose of the parables, first of all, were to illustrate. They were illustrations which made spiritual truths more plain and clear to the mind of the hearer. It's a spiritual truth, an illustration that makes a spiritual, uh, I, I'm sorry, they put the truth in, por in, in, a, in portable form so that it could easily be carried away and remembered. It's a story. We can remember the tortoise and the hare, and off he goes. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, that's the majority of how people think about parables. So, as I've told you guys in the past, when you want to know what something means in Scripture, just keep reading. The book will tell you. Because look at verse 11. Because the Lord's going to tell you what, why he spoke in parables. All right? And, and again, I'll take the Lord's word <laughs> over the commentary and the, you know, the religious idea. Verse 11, And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. To them, the multitudes to whom he spake the parables, it was not given for them to understand the, the, the information here about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So th they say to him, why are, you talk, why are you preaching to the multitudes out there in parable? And he says, look, it, it's... It is because the truth that I am trying to teach you guys, the disciples, isn't for them. Okay? And again, that's exactly opposite of what everything you hear thrown down the pipeline all the way through the cemetery schools and everything. Okay? Verse 12, for, wh for whosoever, cemetery, seminary, sorry. <laughs> I said cemetery because that's usually what they are on purpose, but... It's, it's the seminary schools. Uh, verse 12. For whosoever hath to him, for, who, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand verse 14 and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which saith this is Isaiah 6:10 by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive verse 16 but blessed are your eyes for they see and your hear ears for they hear for verily I say unto you, the many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Again, the two classes of people. You've got the apostate nation, and you've got that little flock, that believing remnant. And he says, look guys, I'm, they ask him, why are you speaking in parables? He goes, because these guys... Hearing, have ears to hear, they don't hear it. Seeing, they don't see it. Hearing, you guys, you see it, you hear it, you believe it. By the way, verse 17 there, that passage in 1 Peter 1, over there where the prophets looked and searched into this stuff diligently, and the Holy Spirit said, look, don't worry, it's not for you, it's for some folks coming, you know, and all that good stuff. 
There it is again, verse 17. Hey, they looked at this and they didn't get it. You guys are in it and you get it. So there's a group. What I want you to see is there's still, there's that two classes of people. There's a group that don't see and they've rejected him. He goes out to them. He speaks to them in the parables. And again, the purpose of his speaking to them in parables was not to make the truth clear and plain. It was not to make it simple so they could remember and take it home and understand it and not forget it. The reason, it was, the reason he spoke to them in parables was to conceal the truth from them while revealing it to others. To conceal the truth from those that had rejected him. Sorry, guys, you're on this side of the room. Okay. And reveal it to those over here who could get it and would understand it. Yay. Okay. All right. So come over with me to Mark chapter 4. And again, that's the Lord's opinion on it. That's the Lord's attitude. That's the Lord's, this is why I did it. So that'll rub against the religious thinking, thought line, but so be it. He, he was very good at doing that. Again, Jesus Christ. So the question, number one, why did he speak in parables? He spoke in parables to conceal the truth and to reveal the truth to his followers. That's what he did it. Look at Mark 4 and verse 34. Mark 4, 34. But without a parable spake he not unto them. No, without a parable. He wouldn't even talk to them unless it was in a parable. And interesting. And when they were alone, he expanded all things, I'm sorry, he expounded all things to his disciples. There are two groups. The group that rejected him, the apostate nation. And, and again, that's where we're at in Matthew 11, 12. Here we are in 13. So he's out. On the, on the sea, talking to the multitudes in a parable, he comes into the house, sits down with the disciples, and explains it, expounds to it. He's preaching to the... He's talking, he's concealing truth to the one group, and he's revealing the truth to that little flock, his disciples. And again, in Israel, that issue of two groups. If you come back to Isaiah 5, just I think about this and I, you know, I just get Isaiah 5, get Isaiah 6. They're right here together. Isaiah 6 verse 10. This is the quote because we're going to see this quote here as we go through, through the, the evening study here. Isaiah 6 10. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And again, that issue, that thing over in Proverbs, much rebuke hardeneth the heart. He's rebuke them. Now look at Isaiah 5, okay? And this, again, that two groups, verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant, and he looked for judgment. Behold, oppression for righteous, but, with, but behold, a cry. That vineyard, he's got that, that issue of the two houses. They're there. 
So in the earthly ministry, come back to Matthew 13 now. In the earthly ministry of Christ, the nation is going to be preached to here. The kingdom is going to be offered to them. They're going to refuse it. They're going to reject it. The little flock is going to be formed. Christ begins now to speak in parables so that the people out there that have rejected him can't get it. But yet the people in the little flock can get it. Matthew 13, 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. The guy who has the faith, he's going to get some more. <laughs> okay, he's got some understanding. He's going to get more under, and more and more. And, and he's, and he's going to have more and more and more given to him. And he shall have more abundance but whosoever hath not. So there's the group there that were the apostate group. They, didn't, they weren't getting it. They won't get it. From him shall be taken away even that he hath. What does the Lord tell them? I'm taking the kingdom from you guys, and I'm giving it to you guys. Okay? All right? Verse 13, therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Again, the difference between seeing with your eyes and really getting it, okay? You ever see something and then you go, you ever watch a TV show? And then you come back and you watch it and you go, you know what, I never noticed that before? And catch the little details? That's what he's talking about. These guys, they, they hear the words, they hear him talking, but they don't understand. Verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes, notice, they have closed. What happens when you close your eyes? You can't see, you know. The old, old Larry, Moe, and Curly, the Three Stooges routine, he walks in, I can't see nothing, can't see nothing. Why? Why? I got my eyes closed, right? You know, <laughs> you know and then they poke him. How many of you have trouble seeing when we have our eyes closed? We all do. So it's pretty straightforward. But what I want you to notice is that they closed their eyes. The fault is theirs. It isn't God's. It's theirs. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them. They didn't want to see. That's the point. They didn't want to see, they didn't want to hear it, they didn't want to believe it. So you go back up there to verse 9. That's their condition. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So there's a willful, we were talking about this Sunday in the Romans 1 study, but well, I was talking to the Monday night guys because I'm in Romans 1 as well, just behind the morning, the Sunday school, because I decided to just start with Romans. And you know, so what I teach Sunday morning, I kind of, Teach, I teach it Monday night, but just not in a 
a little lighter level, if you will. Willful, deliberate, voluntary, knowing ignorance. That's what they're doing. That's unbelief. That is rejection. That is willful ignorance. Choosing not to know. That's the point in verse 15 that's so critical. They didn't hear because they didn't want to hear what he was telling them, who he was telling them who he was. They didn't want to come along and they, they just, you know, stop their ears, you know. I didn't do that in a while. I'm stand right here for a minute. My equilibrium, you know. They didn't want to do that. Now, you'll notice verse 14 is this quote out of Isaiah 6. And what he's saying is that by hearing they shall hear and, they, and, and shall not understand, and seeing they shall see and not understand. These people's ears are waxed gross, just as the description is there. But it's also their heart, is that heart attitude. Come over with me to John chapter 12. You see, Christ is teaching these people in parables, and uh, you're going to have to understand and see, I hope, there's several things we're going to see tonight. The first one here is that these parables that the Lord is teaching, all of the parables that the Lord is teaching is associated with divine judgment on the nation, Okay? The parables must be associated. They must be regarded as punishment, as a, as a judicial punishment of God afflicted on a group of people who deliberately close their eyes to the truth. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's people who would not receive the clear, plain message. They have flat... They... they chose it they did it you come to john 12 verse 37 and there's something here that is very fascinating about this issue um, and about the this the blindness of israel the apostate nation and so forth verse 37 but though he had done so many miracles before them yet they believed not on him they willfully, deliberately, knowingly refused to believe in spite of all the miracles that he did in front of them. Verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed. By the way, the arm of the Lord, that's never a good thing. That's always a judgment issue. He says, man, Isaiah said, who's going to believe us, Lord? Nobody. Therefore, they didn't believe so that those verses could be what? Fulfilled. They chose willingly and deliberately not to believe. Verse 39, therefore, they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. Hey, there's Isaiah 6.10 again. So we're, we're in the Matthew 13 realm. 
But look back up there at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. They just flat out refused to believe. Willingly, deliberately would not believe. So God fixed it so they could not believe. And that's the, and that's the divine judgment that God inflicted on them because they chose to deliberately close their eyes to the truth. And uh, when, he, when they did that, they became blind. So God blinded the nation of Israel in the earthly ministry of Christ. He used his ministry, as it were, to blind them so that they, could, they would go and crucify him. Because, so God used the nation, again... <laughs> And because of their unbelief, they did something God needed done, which was his son to be crucified. But that issue of divine judgment falling on them. And the parables are what begin to, to work that out in them. And as he does this, come over to Acts 28. Acts chapter 28. They, again, we under, and by the way, as... Bible believers, as understanding the word rightly divided, understanding that we're in the dispensation of grace, understanding that through Paul we get the, all the details filled in, we know that they stumble at Christ, but they don't fall, Romans 11, they don't fall till the stoning of Stephen. But they were blinded judicially back here. And when we, and when we come into the early Acts period, God gives that nation a renewed opportunity to repent. And again, you see that nation, given the opportunity to repent and to respond to the message, and what do they do? They, they reject it. They clearly, I mean, can, could you imagine the Lord standing there doing miracles in their presence, and they go, eh, he's just another one. Put in another one on the Put him over here. We'll have him. We won't have him. Give us Caesar. We'll have Caesar. You got Peter and John come through and heal the lame man. Ah, it's a bunch of hooey. It's all hoodly do. We don't believe it. And so what happens? There's a judicial blinding. There's a judicial judgment of God. And in Acts 28, Paul deals with it. Verse 25. Because guess what he's going to quote again here? By the way, it's Isaiah 6.10, okay? All right, just helping you out there. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. And by the way, the they there are the Jews. Uh, he's been talking to them, verse 17, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. They're there at Rome. He, so he, the they there are the Jews there at Rome. They departed after that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our father, saying, go, go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and ye shall understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing, and their ears, I'm sorry, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Again, they closed them. Lest they should see, with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. 
That is the judicial judgment of God pronounced on, the, on a nation who have refused. Now the blindness that has fallen on Israel, it doesn't begin in Acts 28. Okay? Acts 28 is when the public declaration of the, judici- of the judgment of God was declared on them. But the judgment had already begun on them long before that. And, it, and in fact, it really begins, you know, Acts 7 and, and back, come over to Romans 11. I, I said this, so just let's just read it. It, it really starts in, in, there in Acts 7. But you have that wonderful thing out there called the Acts 28 position. And they say that, see, they say that the nation of Israel has not been set aside until the end of the book of Acts. We need Romans 11, okay? And uh, that isn't what he's dealing with there in Acts 28. But rather, the last judicial pronouncement of judgment is given on them there, but the fall of Israel begins in Acts 7. And from Acts 7 to 28, you have a diminishing away of Israel. Israel now is less and less and less and less important. Finally, to the point where you see Paul there in Acts 28 say, Enough. You guys won't have it. We're going to the Gentiles, and they'll hear it. But if you look here at Romans 11, you you see that. Romans 11, verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were, were, what? Were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall. Salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So you get the idea that Israel has what? Fallen. They're they're blinded. And again, if you drop down to verse 25, he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be coming. So something has happened to Israel. And it began in Acts 7. That's where they fall. And then they diminish on down and out through. So they don't, it, the judgment doesn't start in Acts 20. It doesn't wait to boom, Acts 28. It really, the judgment, the final of it is in Acts 7. But we're all the way back over here in Matthew 13. And what's he already laid out? What's coming? What is coming? A judicial judgment, a judicial blinding of the nation of Israel. Now, Notice something very interesting. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because there's something here that we have to catch in this. Okay, so the nation of Israel has fallen. The nation of Israel is on on the way out. They're not the issue. And there's this transition period here. Again, God doesn't just lop them off. They're gone, they're fallen, and he's demonstrate, there's a demonstration of their fall. 
and these people that God had worked through and had been the channel and the source of his blessings for, for all the ages are now to be set aside. And the reason you see this is 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. All right? To fill up their sins always. That is what's going on in the book of Acts. The sin of the nation is being demonstrated, their rebellion, their unbelief, their refusal to see that and, and to, is being laid out for everybody to see. They are without excuse when God blinds them. Now watch what happens. For the what? For the wrath. Next two words is come. Now is that present tense or future tense? It's present. Right there in Acts 18 when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. You see, he didn't gradually cut them off. <laughs> he set them aside. He replaces them with the dispensation of grace, the new program. And that's what's going on back here. And that's the critical point here. Because, and that's what the parables are associated with. You guys don't want me? You refused? You ain't in it? You're never going to see this. I'm going to talk in parables so you don't get it and you get it. And you know what it is? It's a picture of my judgment on you, the wrath that's coming. By the way, verse 16, that is upon, uh, upon their sins all way, not always, it's all way. And you need to remember that. That's one of those places that they use that issue of all way. It's, not, it's, it's the, um, hang on, I just had it. I just had the goofy thing. It's all the way to the end. All ways is all the possibilities. No, the wrath has come until to fill up their sins all the way, all the way to the end. Their sins are full. Now, come back with me to John 12 again. We were just there, and I just want to pick up something, because when we go back over here to Matthew 13, Matthew 13 quotes Isaiah 6. Paul quotes it again in Acts 28. We saw it in John 12. Get back down there to John 12. So that nation... And again, the significance of, of, of it being used by the Lord in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in Paul using it, is that now that nation has, is, is the judicial judgment of God has completely and totally been inflicted on a people who deliberately closed their eyes. That's what's going on here. And the parables are associated with that. Verse 48, John 12, uh, 44. Jesus cried and said, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, 
I'm sorry, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that sent, seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear, now watch, my words, and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me receiveth not my words. Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken in the same, the same shall judge him in the last day. The whole issue here is that they rejected his words. And you know, when you stand in front of that book... <laughs> It'll get you. You have to be very careful. And the book is what's going to be the judge. We were talking in Sunday mornings about the judgment seat of Christ and the fire. That's the book, the Word of God. It's, the, it's our judge. And the thing is, is what the issue in the earthly ministry of the Lord was, was his words. The book is the issue. Not how you feel, not what the preacher says, not what tradition says, not what anybody says. It's what does that book say. That's why, why is he speaking in parables? Not anything to do with the commentary say. What did he say? I'm doing it so this group doesn't get it and this group gets it. Well, wait a minute. He's got to make it clear and plain and we can remember it. No. What did he say? Verse 49, if you just look there, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which has sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that this, his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. What, a, what an attitude to have. Come back over to Matthew 13 now about the Word of God. And again, that's, that's going to be the gist of it here. Is Yeah, they rejected me, but they really rejected the Word of God. Matthew 13, verse 16, he says, Bless, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Isn't that a wonderful difference? They had eyes that would see. The other people had closed their eyes. You guys had closed your eyes, so close your eyes. <laughs> okay. Now wake up. <laughs> no, wake up. <laughs> the other group didn't. They had, the disciples, the little flock, the believing remnant, they had a hard attitude of faith. That's what they had. They had a positive response to the doctrine, to the word of God that was being preached to them and taught to them. They turned around and they had a wonderful positive response to it. By the way, that's what faith is. Faith is defined as just a simple positive response to the word of God. That's all faith is. Every, that's why the book says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith comes from. So when you, when you see that issue there, again, the issue of the word of God is something that you have to be very careful with Scripture. Because, come back over there to 1 Thessalonians 2. We were just there. I should have read this to you when we were sitting there. When you think about the Word of God and the attitude that you and I should have towards the book, 
because this is really where Israel fell apart, was that they began to ignore the Word of God. They began to go, they began to move away from it. 1 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 9. For ye remember, ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel. And with all, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, not 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. I was like, that didn't make, that's not what I was after. Here it is. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. can't read my notes, and my notes are typed. <laughs> so that's really bad. <laughs> really, yeah, new glasses. Yeah. Uh, 2 9, 2 Thessalonians 2 9. Even him whose coming is after the works of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, why are they going to perish? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see why they didn't get saved? They didn't want to get saved. They didn't want it. Verse 11. And for this cause, God send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. For this cause, because they receive not the love of the truth, what happened? There was a, God sent a strong delusion. By the way, that's the Antichrist. It's all that stuff about the Antichrist and the peace policy and all that. And they believed a lie. They got sucked right into it. It's exactly right. And the reason they did that is because they had an attitude about the Word of God that was improper. Now, I'll be honest with you. You come to the Word of God with an axe to grind, you'll find a verse that will back up your axe to grind. Because it, it, it reads you. Hebrews 4.12 is a, a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. I mean, they, it reads you. And when you come to it looking for, we were talking about the charismatic stuff. You, you guys, they, they got verses, verses after verses. Because what are they trying to do? Prove their point. But when you come to the book and you just say, Lord, teach me, <laughs> you know, I don't have an axe to grind. I just want to know then what's, what's going to happen. You're going to have that humble heart. The Bible is the only book in the world that's going to give you a different answer depending on how you approach it because it's reading your heart attitude. It's looking at you going, what's your, it, he says in Jeremiah, your heart is deceitfully wicked desperately and deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it you don't even know your heart but you know what you know who knows your heart that book does and it reads your meter as dad would say and he reads it quick and if you're looking for if you want to teach people that they can lose their salvation you would never leave the book of hebrews you can do it all out of hebrews but then there'll be somebody come along and say yeah but what about romans 4 or 5 <laughs> But to him that believeth not and work, you know, his faith is counted for right. Ah, what about Ephesians 1.13 where you're sealed with until the day of redemption? And so, see, you, well, all those verses we have to do something with now. And there it is. So come back to Matthew 13. So that's really what's happening here in, with, in Matthew 13 is that they, they have 
rejected the word of the king. And they've gone and said, we don't want you, we want Caesar. Okay? So he spoke, Matthew 13, 11. He spoke to them in parables because there are the two groups in Israel. He wanted to blind the one group and he wanted to build up the other group. He wanted to conceal the truth from one group and reveal it to just the believers. Okay? That's why he spoke in the parables. Now, what are the parables all about? That's the next big question. What's the topic that's going to be dealt with? The parables are associated with the judicial blinding of the nation of Israel. Okay? Look at 1311. Let's see if you can figure out what the parables are all about. 1311. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So the parables are about what? The kingdom of heaven. Wow. Shocking, isn't it? Verse 18. I tell you, okay, verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Verse 19, he's going to interpret it. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. Notice it's not the word of grace. It's not the word of the church, the body of Christ. <laughs> it's the word of the kingdom. Verse 24. Another parable. Another parable, but put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Verse 31. And another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. The kingdom of, the parables spake about what? The kingdom of heaven is like unto. Verse 44. Verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net. So these seven that are here, I told you we had 12? No. Yeah. How many last time? Seven? Seven, 11 or 12. I can't talk. Isn't that crazy? Because I don't have my note. Anyway, these in chapter thir- these 7 and 13, what's the issue? The kingdom of heaven. But notice chapter 20, Matthew 20. Matthew 20 and verse number 1. 7. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. He's going to give him the parable of a householder here. Notice it's the kingdom of heaven. 20, chapter 22, verse 1. Well, well, verse 2. Verse 1, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Chapter 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto the ten virgins which took their lamp and went forth. The kingdom of heaven is going to be likened unto 
Again, parables. You're in chapter 25, look down at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country. So there's, you got the parable of the ten virgins. Now you got this parable here of the man, the traveling man into a, and again, it's all about the kingdom of heaven. That's what the parables are about. Come over with me to Mark chapter 4, where we were just a minute ago. Mark 4. And, and so what are the parables going to be about? The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> now, this is not brain surgery. It's pretty straightforward. The, where the brain surgery comes in is trying to figure out why people change it and go different directions. Matthew 4, verse 11. Well, make it verse 10. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. The issue is the kingdom. Not the church, the body of Christ, not the dispensation of grace, but the establishment of the kingdom. That is the issues in the parables. The parables, go back there to, to Matthew 13. The parables are about the topic that they're going to that, that deals with the establishment of the kingdom. Now there are other parables, okay? But the parables are going to focus on the elements of the kingdom. They're either going to focus on the establishment of the kingdom or on the issues of kingdom living. Or, or the kingdom people, but they're all going to focus on some aspect of the kingdom. Why does he do it? To conceal the truth from one group, to reveal it to the other, and what's the topic? The kingdom. Okay? If you get that, you just saved yourself headaches for, well, for a while anyway. Okay? That's the issue. Matthew 13. He's going to reveal truth and information about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, if you look down at verse 34. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven wasn't a secret. Okay? They've known about that all along. But there are some things about how it was going to be established that had never been made known. Also, they didn't understand it when he... Uh, that quote, verse 35, comes out of Psalm 78, verse 2. It's in Psalm 78, David writes about it. The psalmist writes about it. They know about this. Now, come over to Luke 19. And let me show you, when we, when we went through Luke and we got to this point, you know, they're in the middle of an upside-down situation. Luke 19, verse 11. And you've got to remember this, that they knew all about the kingdom. 
but they did not understand all of the aspects of it. They didn't understand it. It even wasn't even revealed. The fact here is that these people right here in Luke 11, they don't understand, and that's why they... So when they reject Christ, he begins to give them some information, but he's, it's, the one group rejected him, the other group didn't, and there you are. Luke 19, 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. You see that? They don't understand the time element. They don't understand that there's some things about the appearing and the establishment of God, of God, of the kingdom, so Christ has to do what with them? He's got to give them a parable that's going to straighten out that information. And the parables that Christ is going to give them here, he's going to give them some details about it, and he's going to fill in some thing, give them some information that is going to happen after his rejection, and, and all of this stuff all the way down through it. And again, there's the, the occupation, the 10, the 10 pounds. But if you look down there in verse 17, and he said unto them, Well, thou good, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little... Have thou authority over ten cities? Verse 19, he, that guy gets authority over five cities. So what's going to happen in the kingdom? There's going to be some authority given out, some, some reigning and ruling over. You see, there were some secret things about the establishment of the kingdom of heaven that these guys needed to be told about. So the parables are going to come in, and they're going to focus on that issue, of, that issue of establishment. And come back to Matthew 13. That issue here of, again, they're not focusing on the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace was kept secret since when? Before the foundation of the world, remember? And in Matthew 13 here, the, these things were kept secret from the foundation of the world. Is from and before the same? Oh, no. Matthew 13. They're not talking about the dispensation of the grace of God because the mystery, Romans 16, 25, and 26, which, end of verse 25, which the world, which was kept secret since the world began, Okay, in Ephesians, he talks about before the foundation of the world. He had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Then in Matthew 13, he says, hey, from the beginning, this stuff's been kept secret. He's not talking about us at all when he says mystery here. Okay, the mysteries of the kingdom, verse 11, 13, 11. So when you come into the study and you look at that issue of the word mystery, it means secret, but it doesn't always mean dispensation of grace, body of Christ. Schofield's got a note. A mystery in Scripture is a previously hidden truth, now divinely revealed, but in which a supernatural element still remains despite the revelation, 
The greater mysteries are, and he's got, he's got 11 of them listed. This in Schofield's notes. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, it's note number 3. He's got 11 of them. There's probably another seven that he doesn't list. Okay? So when you begin to talk about the verse 11, 13, 11, the mysteries of the kingdom, and then he says it in verse 35 there, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. He's not talking about you and I. He's talking about, again, What's the parables all about? The kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. They're about the establishment of the kingdom. Their focus is on, is on that issue. And the mystery parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 focus especially on the details of how that kingdom is going to operate in the absence of the king. So he's looking to the early Acts period. Okay? All right, if you'll notice here in verse 18, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Now he's going to begin to teach them, he's going to interpret the parable, and in doing that he is then going to show them, teach them how to interpret the next 12, the next parables that come through, okay? Okay. But before, and we'll do that next week, all right, because time's almost up. But I want you to notice something very interesting here about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, 1311, and a connection to the book of the Revelation, all right? Look over at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, okay? Revelation 1, 19. The Lord's talking to John, and he says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. You want to you understand the book of the Revelation? You need to understand that verse right there, because that is the outline of the book right there. You're going to write what you see, then you're going to write what they are, which are, in other words, which are there, it's not talking about time, he's talking about what they represent. Okay? So, you, so John, you're going, to write the rec, you're going to record the events the way that they come at you. People, you know, all you look at Larkin and you look at all the other guys who have commentaries and they got a circular mode, you know, this one and overlaps and blah, blah, blah. And, you, and when we studied the book, we took it the way it was written as it comes. Why? Because what did the Lord tell John to do? Write it as you see it. That's why you're gonna, you, you see him say, and I saw this, and then this. Ha so write it as you see it. Write it, write what they mean. And then you're going to write the next shall be there, uh, shall be hereafter. So you write the next thing in the order. Okay? Now watch verse 20. The mysteries of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars, in other words, the things that he's going to write about, are the secrets of the seven stars. Okay? 
Notice verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars. Then he says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now let's think about that. The mysteries of the parables of the kingdom of heaven. They're going to understand the mysteries, Matthew 13, of the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 1 says that there are some mysteries associated with the seven churches in Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3. He calls it the mystery of the seven stars or the seven churches there. There are seven parables in Matthew 13. There are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. It's going to get spooky. Hang on now. The parables are mystery parables. The churches are mystery churches. Secret churches. If that doesn't suggest something to you about the connection between Matthew 13 and Revelation 2 and 3 here, you, now watch. Okay? The seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 fit tribulation period. We understand that. So guess where the parables in Matthew 13 fit? Tribulation as well. Look at seven, Revelation 2 and look at verse 7. Okay, you got Revelation 2, 7. Matthew 13, verse 9. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? We've been talking, well, verse 13. Therefore speak I, Matthew 13, 13. To them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear. See that issue about seeing and see not, and hear and hear not? Revelation 2, verse 7. He that hath a what? An ear. Let him what? Hear. See that? 2, 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear. 2, 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear. 2.29, he that hath an ear, let him hear. 3.6, he that hath an ear, let him hear. 3.13, he that hath an ear, every time, verse 22, get the last one. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Every time he gives one of those representative churches there, he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Well, what did 13, 9 say? Matthew 13, verse 9 say, Who hath an ear, who hath ears to hear, let him what? Hear. That is, a, that is a particular statement that fits the nation of Israel's situation in the tribulation. Let them have an ear, let them hear. Back to Matthew 13, verse 9. What does he say? So the mystery parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13, guess where they're going to push everybody to? The tribulation period of time. Look at verse 18, 13, 18. Hear. Isn't that interesting? Ye therefore the parable of the sword. The point, folks, is that he that hath an ears to hear, let him hear. That's a tribulation statement. Go back to Matthew 11. 
and verse 15. Matthew eleven fifteen. 15, he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He talk, he's talking about Elijah, and if you had received the kingdom, then John would have been Elijah. And he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again, when we went through there, I made the statement, that's a tribulation statement. It's tribulation point of view. Who are the two witnesses? Elijah and Moses, right? Who is Elijah going to be? John was going to be Elijah. The Lord would have been the Moses, the prophet. That would have been those pictures. Let him hear. He that's got ears, let him hear. Okay? So you've got a connection here that's going to happen. Matthew 13, the parables. He gives them so one group doesn't get it, the other group does. The focus is the establishment of the kingdom in the absence of the king. Now, by the way, there's another word in Scripture in the Old Testament, and it's called selah, S-E-L-A-H, okay? And we, we, you see it all through the book of Psalms, really. You, you see it. All through the book, um, actually, I was, <laughs> I took my own advice and I, and I read the book of Habakkuk. So he can't say, hey, you know, did you read my book? And he uses, in Habakkuk 3, he uses that term, Selah. And what Selah does and what it means, and I know what the, the commentaries, oh, it's a musician thing and it's a pause and all this stuff. And it does mean that, but it, but it means stop and think, guys. And every time you see that term, Selah, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms and in the Prophets, the information that just preceded it is in reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it does for Israel is it says, stop reading, think back about the doctrine you just read, pay attention to it, learn it, understand it. Let him that have ears... Hear it, understand it, see what's going on. And, all, and every time you see that word selah, guess what you're going to be talking about? The second tribulation, the second coming. So guess what happens when you read, who hath ears to hear, let him hear? Same thing. Tribulation, second coming, moving forward. Because we're going to see that phrase now a bunch through Matthew as we go forward. Okay? So just catch that here, something a little else going on. Next time we'll get into the interpretation, we'll begin to see some things about, you, you actually begin to see some, some things here um, about you know, what the birds represent, being Satan, the adversary and stuff. It's just really interesting to help you understand and be able to be, you and I can get it because we're understanding what's going on here. But for that Jew who's going to have this and read it, you know, down the road from, you know, us, we're gone. They're in the trib. They're going to read through this. It'll just let him that has an ear hear it and eyes to see it, and they will because they'll be operating on faith. So anyway, just kind of catch that. I just thought that stuff at the end there about the connection between the tribulation because the blinding of Israel is a judicial judgment of God, and that's what the tribulation will be. Okay? All right. That's enough of that then. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the book here. We thank you for the, for the wonderful time to sit and study it and look at it and to see the, the little integral things that you have and it's going to set forth here 
and uh, these parables that as we get into them, we'll just enjoy and give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.